This is WFA Talks, the 69th edition. Assistant News Director Lisa Worf and political reporter Tom Bullock are here with me in Studio D at WFA, as we call it. Uh, thanks for joining, joining me, guys, as always. Always yeah. good to be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this week's topics, the upcoming primary election, a special session over Charlotte's updated non-discrimination ordinance, and, or a possible session, special session, I should say, and a million-dollar fine for UNC Chapel Hill because it took in too many out-of-state students. First, let's go uh, with the election, Tom. So on March 15th, who is going to win the Northern <laughs> the, the Northern Mariana <laughs> Islands Caucus? <laughs> uh, actually, you know, the funny thing is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and put that right now in Ted Cruz's camp, and here's why. Oddly, because I am a major political dork, uh-huh. I remember a story that I read way back before Iowa, which seems so long ago, that talked about him actually courting that vote because he was being very diligent about the delegates and realized that this is another place where it actually matters. So I, I will actually go on wow. and say... Wow, how many Ted delegates? Cruz. I think it's six. Six? I could be totally wrong. It's a caucus. I want to look at the dates. and But, you know, there are these all these maybe... You would never pay attention to those, uh, the Virgin Islands and all those other hey. uh, Guam. Like, how much? I mean, maybe they the in this a race like mattering. this, this could make they could be this different. Is, look, this is <laughs> it sounds goofy, but you're absolutely right for this reason. We are already seeing, I mean, on this is taping on Friday on morning edition Friday, you had Marco Rubio talk with Steve Inskeep, literally kind of just looking forward to more or less, I mean, not quite that bluntly, but looking ahead to a contested Republican convention. You've got Republicans. You had Mitt Romney this week literally saying what we need to do is keep everybody in the race so we can get to a contested convention to try to oust Trump if he's the nominee. If you look at this, all of a sudden, these random U.S. territories (laughs) where you're not going to be able to find them on a map, but boy, you know, they've got themselves some delegates. They're in play in every little bit. Every little bit really could make a difference. That's going to be great if we're going to see the, the candidates of rallies in Guam and Northern Mariana. Yeah, Islands. well, and Puerto Rico is this, <laughs> right, this Puerto Saturday. Rico, right. yeah, I mean, I'm, you can't, can't wait to find out no. the results from Puerto Rico, but actually, they will matter. <laughs> but speaking, there's, a, of course, another election on that day uh, in North Carolina. Uh, and my question for you is, is – the presidential race going to get crazy here, or do you think most of the attention is going to be on other states that day, like Florida and Ohio? Well, uh, obviously, our primary is on March 15th, not next Saturday or this right. Saturday. Um, just Did I ma- say this Saturday? No, but oh. just in case somebody was confused okay. by the All reference, right. we want to make sure we're not adding to voter confusion because right. for a number of reasons, we may already have a lot of that. Um, I don't really know. My gut is telling me we're not going to see the level of candidate presence that you would expect for a state as important for the specifically for the Republicans in the general election mm-hmm. as North Carolina is. Um, we do have Donald Trump coming to Fayetteville on Wednesday. Um, we we will see, you know, uh, the G, the GOP folks make an appearance. I'm sure we'll see the same for Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. But here's the thing. If you're Marco Rubio, you have to win Florida. If you're John Kasich, you have to win Ohio. If you're Ted Cruz, you may, you know, Ted Cruz, I'd say, would probably stop here. He can probably do it without, you know, endangering his future of the the future of his campaign, which Rubio and and Kasich really are in that position. They have to win their home states to stay anywhere near viable in this race. Um but a better question to that is not just the candidate appearances, it's where are the ads? Mm-hmm. 
We're, we're, we haven't seen them yet. Every morning I go through, um, look for filings, look look in the papers to see if I'm if if anything has popped up yet. And frankly, everybody is pouring so much money in to Florida and Ohio that they don't have anything left over for North Carolina right now. And I did not think that would be the case earlier this year. I just didn't. So I think we're not going to see a huge barnstorming run until very, very, very close to March 15th when people are going to start realizing whether they will or will not win Ohio, Florida, um, you know, Missouri, eh, nobody's really paying much attention to that. Um, Illinois is, Illinois is, Illinois is that the big? other one. Um, but if they need a win and they want to win in what is going to be seen as a critical, critical Republican state for a general election, they'll suddenly pop up here mm-hmm. and do a real hard press for North Carolina voters. And there's another reason. It's not just the the, um, the need to win for Kasich's camp and Rubio's camp. We're also... We have um, basically a system that isn't encouraging a ton of campaigns here because it's a proportionate – the delegates are given out proportionally. We were one of the last states to do that. Ohio, it's winner take all. Florida is the same. But we're still giving them out, you know, proportionally. So, you know, candidates can come and – or not come here, rather, and not do particularly well. They don't need to win, and they can still get delegates. Mm -hmm. So I think we're not going to see a huge push until the end. I'm thankful as far as not hearing ads and not getting mailings <laughs> nice. at this point. So mm-hmm. uh, I, whenever uh, I get I get mailings from all sides, and I always bring them to to Tom and say, "Check this out." But yeah, it's it's been it's been quiet. So, and I should probably clarify one thing. The reason I keep saying North Carolina is so critical for GOP runs for the White House, it's because if you look at all of the different scenarios with the Electoral College, which is really what that election Mm -hmm. is all about, it is nary impossible for a Republican to win the White House, to get the number of of Electoral College votes they need to win the White House without getting North Carolina's um, vote. They have to win here to go on. And so we may not see this round a huge amount of attention, but come the general election and the run-up to that election, it should be interesting. Well, speaking of uh, the Republican race, of course, Mitt Romney came out this week and slammed Donald Trump. Uh, Both of you, both of us were talking. We didn't really think it would have much of an effect because everyone is uh, who's supporting Donald Trump. Certainly, I don't think I I think I I don't I don't think they have much uh, a a strong opinion for Mitt Romney. No. Why? why? (laughs) And if anything, I wonder if it could galvanize. Well, it was definitely it seemed like a very definite call for. People who wouldn't vote for Trump to get out and vote anyway to have a um, a convention that uh, may tr- Trump uh, may not get half half the votes and then having to go the second way. So this is so strange to me. This is such a head scratcher to me. You're you're campaigning against Donald Trump, whose brand, or at least a good chunk of his political brand, is I am not the Republican establishment. So to have the mm-hmm. Republican establishment come out and do something that is historic. <laughs> and I mean, one that wasn't really didn't didn't have a groundswell of support anyway. Well, it, yeah, I mean, eventually, he out, but he had to outlast everybody. I mean, let's all remember the anyone but yes. Mitt runners. I mean, it was just amazing. But to have the Republican establishment come out and like start blasting Trump it, at this point in the game, it's too late in my opinion. It really is a head scratcher because it seems like maybe they'll get some guy, you know, some people to vote for the non-Donald Trump candidates out there. But you're probably running the risk of in, actually invigorating far more of those people 
who were supporting Donald Trump, but not necessarily likely voters, to suddenly become likely voters. And, and it seems potentially self-defeating. Well, on to another issue, a uh, political issue. The uh, updated non-discrimination ordinance in Charlotte is getting legislative attention. Uh, the House Speaker has called for a special session. Uh, it's certainly – whether or not that, that actually occurs, it's, it's, to, it's to be determined, I guess. Uh, the, the Senate has not decided to uh, – doesn't seem to have the votes to call for a special session. Uh, either way, it doesn't really matter because the regular session starts a few weeks, starts April 20, 25th. Uh, certainly on both sides, there seems to be the Senate and House, uh, the political will to try to strike down the portion of Charlotte's ordinance that deals with bathrooms and giving transgender people the, bath- the option to uh, use the bathroom of their choice. Yeah, yeah. I, I talked to Patsy Kinsey yesterday who, who voted for um, the change, the update of the, the ordinance, and, and she said, hey – yeah, I'm not too surprised. I mean, you know, it's coming one way or the other. I'm disappointed, but it's in it's in their power to to do that. So I feel like there's some some resignation, and I haven't heard too many other city council members uh, come out too too much after this. We've tried to we've tried to track them down. Mayor Roberts has not responded, no. which I found really surprising. I agree. <laughs> we've been trying to get hold of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really agree. You would think they'd be out on out front on this, especially since it does seem to be a fait accompli once the the session begins, rather in a special session or in the regular session, um, because the Republicans have the you know the super majorities, and even if it was just a, a a majority, you know, they they have the votes to get this done. I expect this to be one of the first bills that they introduce. Um, I, I, Jennifer Roberts not responding, real head scratcher. I have mm-hmm. to agree with you. She there. was such a leader on this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's, you know, this again is a Dillon rule state. So the city only gets its power from the state legislature, which means what the state legis- legislature giveth, they can taketh away. And I think it's, I think it's going to happen rather quickly in April. It's weird how things have changed since uh, a few years ago when there was the whole debate over uh, Charlotte's airport. You know, before we were, there were so many stories. How how can the state? We didn't know the state could do this. There was because this this even though it had the power, it really wasn't exercised in this way, at least not in in recent memory. And so there are all this this there was all this confusion about how lawmakers can do this. And now we see things about every year where there now where there is some example of lawmakers uh, stepping into some local matters, and and now it's just. It's we we know that it's just that it's it just strikes me as well. This is the way it is sometimes, uh, and and there's this resignation from local officials. It seems like as you as you pointed out, Tom, you spoke to uh, Kenny Smith, a Republican on council who actually voted against this ordinance. He had spoke out against the state when it was getting involved in local matters, but or in the in the airport issue, but he didn't have a problem with it this in this case because he considers this a statewide issue and a safety issue, and that's exactly right. I mean, it was an, it's an interesting kind of breakdown. He he was not necessarily in favor of a special session unless they could do it quickly because there's a financial cost to taxpayers with mm-hmm. a special session. I mean, it's tens of thousands of dollars a day. Um, but he did see it as th- this is basically uh, Charlotte opening the door to something that could be taken up in other municipalities around the state. Well, there's certainly an effort to. There yeah. certainly is. I mean, Asheville seems to be the next place where this may be considered. So he was okay with state lawmakers coming in to, to take this down. And he, as you said, he, he was against the General Assembly coming in on the airport. So 
You know, it's fascinating to me because what you said is is a really good point, and it shows a bright line difference between the classic doctrine of republicanism and what's going on here in North Carolina with the General Assembly. I mean, if you think about Reagan Republicans, his whole idea, mm-hmm. his whole core was local control is best. And he was talking about it from Washington, D.C. to the states. To the states. Mm-hmm. But if you think about that model from state capital to municipalities, it is the same. And and you really have seen it, you know, accelerate more and more as the state, you know, continues to be dominated by Republican lawmakers. They seem to be willing to get into local issues more and more. Mm-hmm. But there have been, as far as we know, that we talk about this being a public safety issue, we there haven't where this has happened in other places. There haven't been documented cases of someone getting attacked yeah. because of the, of of similar of this ordinance. Statistics clearly show that in other cities that have this this kind of expansion to non discrimination ordinances, that you don't see an increase in pedophilia, you do not see an increase in violence in restrooms, you don't see any of that. And as the Charlotte City Attorney Bob Hageman continually points out. There are still laws on the books to deal with those incidences, so it's not like it's creating a, a, a free-range zone. On to another issue that's uh, somewhat, uh, I guess, another legislative issue. The law- lawmakers—is uh, it lawmakers that have sued? That have uh, you're you're working on a story that have fined or determined? Uh, it's are, it's the board of governors. Okay, st- okay, the board of governors yeah. has uh, fined the UNC Chapel Hill for accepting too many out-of-state students. Yeah, exactly. So uh, over what? the past two years, there well, first of all, there's a 18% cap on how many uh, out-of-state students a school in the UNC system can have. And UNC Chapel Hill, um, when you add them together over the last two years, it's been about 19.5% out-of-state students. Mm-hmm. And uh, since the mid-90s, they've had a policy in place that if you exceed that cap, then you get fined. And there's a formula for that. They were over uh, by about 73 students. I think that's added up over the, the last two years. And um, so they calculated that's a fine of about $1 million. Did they knowingly accept more than what they were allowed to by law? So she, they said they, were, they, they just overshot their calculations, that they did not knowingly do this. And uh, several board of governors seemed to uh, say, yeah, you know, we believe that, but still. And there was um, one member said that, hey, you know, one of the reasons is that they, you know, UNC Chapel Hill hasn't gotten very good press over the last year. And so they thought they'd accept more and uh, get more turndowns than in past years because of the, hmm. the bad publicity. And that, I guess, didn't happen. What do they do with the million dollars? Yeah, it goes into a fund for need-based scholarships. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so it's not it's not like it just goes into the general fund for the state. Um, and and there's already a fund for need-based scholarships in the form of paying, as you've reported on before, uh, additional tuition that goes into that fund, right? Sure, and that came up too at the meeting. You know, this has been some discussion, right? That uh, students will subsidize other students who can't afford. Um, tuition. Yeah. How much more do you pay? Is it, is it 15% is added? That's part of, oh, of the tuition. Oh, that sounds about right, yeah. Greg. I wish <laughs> I, I did this reporting uh, two years ago. That's, and that's, and that's, that sounds about right. But um, today they discussed, and they've mentioned this uh, in the past, but you know, basically having a box on your uh, tuition bill saying, hey, do, would you like to subsidize the education of other students? Check. 
I think it, it, it boils down to about eight hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the, extra. The, the on your tax return, where you want to have three dollars donate go to. donated to a presidential. <laughs> but I don't know how that would work because that's three dollars. This would be eight hundred dollars. You know, and, and, and to be clear, I, I think it is a laudable thing for the eight hundred dollars to go to help somebody who can't afford college on their own. But it's interesting to me they'll let you you know click that box when it comes to your tuition, but like all the student fees, the athletic fees, the athletic yeah, fees exactly. everything else, nope, you got to pay those no matter what. And my, my thought is, I, I only got the tail end of this discussion, but I think it was, and they've been trying to let people know what they're doing with, with tuition, with the subsidies, uh, but I think it's almost like a polling mechanism because I don't, you know, I don't know how you you check that box and say, hey, I'm willing to pay that extra 800 or, you know, you don't check that box. I don't know how that would work from a operational budget standpoint. Um, mm. I think it's probably just a, a reminder of what happens. And they're thinking of doing this throughout the UNC system or just Chapel Hill? Uh, throughout the UNC system. Oh. is is Yeah, I mean, this is not just Chapel Hill. Well, Tom, uh, next week's going to be another busy one for you especially. Uh uh, with I think the for presidential, it's yes, busy yes, here. it is always busy. But you've been our, your lead political reporter, and you're going to be. Uh, what are some stories, political stories, you're going to be working on? Mm, fun stuff, and this is just the stuff that we don't know. Uh, you know, this is just the stuff we're planning ahead for, not necessarily what what happens to pop up. Um, I'm going to be working on a story that looks at the potential down ballot ramifications of a Donald Trump presidency. And in fairness, it will also look at a potential Hillary Clinton presidency. You know, normally you hear about presidential coattails, especially Mm -hmm. with these kinds of elections when you have a fully contested White House. This year could get a little little complicated and a little interesting. And then I'm also going to talk, well, I've already spoken with them. I'm also going to have a a piece that profiles... uh, Donald Trump's two two super fans, I would say, they're his <laughs> warm up act at his rallies. They will be in, actually, in Fayetteville, of course, uh, when he speaks there this coming they're, week. They're from Fayetteville because they're from Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's it's a hometown moment for them. They go by the name of Diamond and Silk, and they are two African American women who switched from the Democratic Party to the Republicans so they could vote for Trump. It is a really interesting story with people with very, very divergent views from most African-Americans, but they're very passionate about about their particular viewpoint, and they're they're doing their best to kind of spread the gospel of Donald Trump. All right. Well, we'll uh, look forward to hearing that story. What's the, what's the, what, why, why Diamond and Silk? Why is that their name? Family nicknames. They're actually sisters. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> well, I look forward to that story. And I know you've been following the student assignment debate in CMS. Uh, Lisa and I just want to get this out. We're uh, making a change here a little bit at WFE. Not a huge change, but uh, we, we periodically go out and do these public conversations forums. And we're still going to do those, but... We're doing this in more as through through Charlotte Talks and the ideas. We're going to have this these live broadcasts addressing uh, certain big issues in the community, and we'll call it Charlotte Talks, a public conversation on such and such, and that will start up in April. The first one is going to be on student assignment, and also there'll be the live show. But we plan to do is have an event afterward where it's more of a an after show event more more people from the audience can speak and and talk to people who are part of the of the charlotte talks episode and so stay tuned for details on that sometime in april all right all right all right, all right guys well 
69th uh, edition of WFA Talks is put to bed. Thanks. Have a good night. All right. Yeah. <laughs>